Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. This is our NBA Draft 2015 preview pod. And, well, Mike, I'm a Sixers fan, so you know what this is, right? It's your Super Bowl. It's my Super Bowl Christmas World Series Game 7, I don't know, everything all in one, um, in one glorious, glorious night where my team has more than a handful of picks. Um, Your team hasn't middling first round pick go wizards but i want to preview yeah, but our everything. team also made the second round of the playoffs did you know that i and they're gonna raise a banner next year well no, well at least it'll be better than the sixers banner that they <laughs> raised which is the cash that they saved over the course of the year <laughs> they were getting in trouble for that uh, right now from the players union so so that's good um <laughs> but no i just want to talk a little bit about everything we're not even going to talk about the nba finals but everything related to the draft uh since the last time we talked the finals happened the warriors won LeBron and the Cavs lost. Uh, Riley Curry became a worldly sensation. Uh, I don't know. Matthew Delvadova might have some kind of uh, name recognition now uh, outside of Australia and Mount St. Mary's. And um, the NBA draft has kind of come and it comes in waves, man. It's just rumors on rumors on rumors. Guys' stock goes up. Different guys' stock goes down. The more you know about a guy, the more he becomes underrated. And the less you know about a guy, the more he becomes overrated and, many, and vice versa. And how many games have these guys played since April? Yeah, zero. Unless you're Mario Hezonia. Yes, Hezonia has played uh, and continues to play. Or his season just ended in Barcelona. I think his season is over now. Let me, sure. let me check. Sure. Um, so I, We do research on this show, guys. Yeah, so Hezonia, who we'll get into, Mario Hezonia, is a very interesting prospect. Because uh, he's a European player. And a lot of times uh, what happens is our national, I don't know, the, how we perceive a player's ability is based upon how he plays against other 18, 19, and 20-year-olds here in the States. When meanwhile, you've got prospects like Mario Hazonia and you've got Kristoff uh, Porzingis. And these guys are playing against grown men as children, as young adults, if you will, 18, 19-year-olds. And, and add Moutier to that sure, list as add well. Sure, Moutier as well playing in, uh, in China. So those are the types of guys who every year you see these types of prospects. Like Don, uh, Exum last year, the less we knew about him, the more his stock started to rise. And this year, and I want to get jump right into it because the two players who I think have seen uh, the highest rise and the, and, the, and the most precipitous fall, uh, at least in terms of public perception, and this could all change because it could all be smoke screens put up by teams, but Okafor has fallen. The national collective uh, thought on him is now he doesn't play good enough defense. He's not athletic enough, even though flashback a year ago, he was a can't miss uh, all time center prospect. Uh, you know, going to play a year at Duke before he was the number one pick in the draft. Meanwhile, on the flip side, Przingis wasn't even a name that you and I could pronounce two months ago. And he was just that random Euro jumbled in the top 10 of the lottery who we kept seeing that Chad Ford liked or different uh, insiders who follow European basketball liked, but he was a Latvian project. And all of a sudden his name is being rumored in that top two, three range. Um, Mike, is Okafor underrated and Przingis now? Overrated, I think. I think Porzingis, if you think that he is the number two prospect in this draft, is overrated. And why is that? What? And I, th- I, you know, I think there's a lot to like about him. I think the combination of shooting and rim protection is like the holy grail in the modern NBA. And he's got some athleticism. You know, he he can kind of 
take the ball off one dribble and and score. What really worries me about him is I just don't like forwards who don't pass. I I don't like forwards that have poor court vision. And he's 100% a shooter drive person. He does poor tunnel vision. You know, over his years in EuroLeague and in the ACB League, when you combine them, small sample size, still noteworthy, 37 assists, 97 turnovers. To me, that's a really scary ratio for a, for a forward entering this draft in this league where these guys are playmakers now. They have to make multiple reads off pick and roll. You know, that that freaks me out. And you look at some of the prospects that have failed over the years, top prospects, it's the ones that don't have that court vision. Anthony Bennett had like a one to two assist to turnover ratio in college. Derek Williams was like one to three as well. You know, those guys are the ones when they get to the NBA, they find that when they're coming off the pick and roll, the decision making is a lot harder. When they're dealing with doubles, that those are the guys that struggle. That's why Offens- I'm worried offensively. about offensively. Yeah, I mean defensively, yes, he could be. He has good rim protection. He's got to get stronger, but so do good feet oh. though. Good feet helps guys when the defensive pick and roll, um, where a guy like Okafor might be exposed if he ever has to come up and play a high pick and roll on defense. I, I think Porzingis is interesting, man. He's seven feet tall with long arms and. He's okay with being Americanized, and I mean that. Like, he wants to speak English. In his interviews, he's well-spoken. He has kind of a, an interest in being part of the NBA culture, and I think a lot of times it goes the opposite way. The Sixers are seeing it right now with Dario Saric. He's chose another year of playing, and look, he's got a shrewd agent who's going to keep him over in Turkey until he can sign an unrestricted or restricted free agent contract uh, with the Sixers two years from now. But there's a reluctance for these guys who have a brand of ball they're used to playing, a comfort zone in their home countries, to come to America. And I don't see that uh, with Przingis. In his interviews, he looks like he's ready. He, you showed me an article, Mike. Who wrote that? The one where uh, the Woj article, the Woj yeah. profile, where. They asked Przingis what he was most interested in about the NBA or what he was most looking forward to. And he said the ability to come to the gym in the middle of the night because it's always open for him to play basketball. It's a wonderfully scripted answer. It's a great answer, though, isn't it? Well, it was a great answer. Yeah. Very wonderfully. Uh, it's very Dirk Nowinskian. That's uh, what, people, that's that's what you want to hear, that a guy is constantly trying to improve his game, that he wants to become the best version of the 7-foot, 220-pounder he is. And he's under 20 years old, too. Let's no, not he's talk young. Like, I mean, I'm you know, not saying he's definitely going to fail like those other guys I'm but just i have saying, to i have i have serious concerns about how his offensive game will translate to the pros i think sure. defensively it's interesting with the way he protects the rim he's not there yet you know he's a project whereas someone like okafor russell mm-hmm. i think that they can and even his his i think has a game that you can just walk right into the pros and it fits the role that you want him to Sure. Fit. Whereas so, Porzingis is so much more, he has that upside where he could be really like this very unique player that you don't see in the league. Kind of like Towns. The reason Towns is such a great prospect is because of that combination of defense and shooting. That could be Porzingis, but he's not, you have to get him there in a way. And I, I it's hard to develop court vision. It really is. Yeah. You, you mean like the innate things that some guys kind of have? Right. He's kind of a. You know, sometimes when I watch him, he kind of looks a little bit like a Bargnani, which scares me a little bit. He's a tall, he's taller and has much more defensive potential, but mm-hmm. he's a shoot or drive guy. He looks like the, he has more coordination. Like Bargnani, not an uncoordinated guy at all, but but like thick, dead legs, doesn't move particularly well. I watch Przingis, you know, run through his, and again, against no defense, all the highlights you see, he is dominating guys who are far off of NBA level athleticism or quality. But there is something to be said for the way he moves up and down the court. It's not too dissimilar to Willie Cauley-Stein, 
yeah, and I, I, I shrug when I say this, but Embiid in college, these guys who glide up and down the court like they're supposed to be running up and down a basketball court, even though they're seven feet tall when they could be a little bit cumbersome. Um, Okafor doesn't naturally flow up and down a court. That's He's true. a big boned 275 pound man. Um, who will probably need to change his body frame if he's going to succeed in the NBA. But I do think Okafor now has become an underrated commodity. Like when you stare at something so long that you only see its imperfections, that's what we're seeing with Okafor. Yeah, he might be a bad free throw shooter. Uh, He probably is going to have limited offensive range, but that doesn't mean he's going to have limited uh, abilities around the basket with both hands. Very instinctual passer out of double teams. Um, But his game is in this crossroads, right? We were talking right. about this earlier before the pod. This is the perfect time to come into the NBA if before you were considered a tweener and that was a knock on you, this is the best possible time to come into the NBA because now every team wants a tweener. And in the past, like if Clarence Weatherspoon played today, everyone would be like, oh, we got to get that six foot four power <laughs> forward. Or Ed O'Bannon. Yeah, Ed O'Bannon uh, strikes me as the, the one guy who came into the league at the wrong time. He was Iguodala before Iguodala. Yeah, like, he would have been really interesting in today's era. Yeah, I think totally. I agree with you about Okafor. I think uh, there's a lot of people wondering when you watch the finals and you see no big men on the floor and you wonder, well, would Okafor have been able to play in that game? I think Okafor would probably change the way that game is played. I mean, Mozgov couldn't handle a double team and Bogut doesn't have any post-up game anymore. Okafor has that. I thought I saw a great stat. He shot 50%, over 50% this year, a non-layup twos. Mm-hmm. So like hook shots and little floaters and li- all these little dummy shots that are really tough for players to pull off. He shot over 50% on those shots. And I think he has – his free throw shooting is a little weird, but I think I think he can develop into a decent face-up jump shooter. And then, you know, the defense, obviously that's a concern on the college level. I think maybe if he's in better shape and his responsibilities are more limited, you know, I think he could be – I mean, he certainly looks like a Brook Lopez at this stage right mm-hmm. now because he doesn't defensive rebound well. You yeah. know, Brook was a little bigger, but I think – I don't think Brook has the ability to get to better shots the way that Okafor can. A little different too, though, because Lopez – his game changed as he became a little bit more fragile on the court, a little more aware of his physical uh, flaws, you know, not being able to jump very well, having a series of injuries, especially foot injuries. He moved his game further and further away from the basket. And Okafor is never going to be a guy, no matter what trajectory his career goes in, where his game moves to 18 feet away from the basket. You don't think so? No, I don't think he's ever going to be able to shoot the same way. Brooke Lopez is a good no, he's, shooter. He's a really good shooter. Yeah, but I, I, mean, I, I think, they find a way. Sometimes bigs find a way that they have to hit that shot every. Yeah, so I mean, at least the bank from ten to fifteen is going to have to be a part of Okafor's game. Because Duncan Duncan couldn't shoot in college. And he really. couldn't shoot free throws until a few years in. Right, few, he, he just kind of you, you learn the skill. I think yeah. he'll he'll move away from the basket. I, sure, I think I, I think for sure, and I, I think uh, his passing is really fantastic as well, which yep. I think is a very underrated skill. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Towns is a better prospect. Like, there's no question. Yeah, we're not even about talking that. about Towns right now because like, he's going to go number one. Right. So I think when you compare Okafor, sometimes when a guy rises, there's a tendency to nitpick the guy that falls. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's happening with Towns and Okafor. I mean, Towns is just such a, to me, such a special combination of skills. It's not really a knock on Okafor if he's not as good no, as those no, guys. Not at all. And, and, and neither of them decided how the NBA was going to be played in 2015, 2016. Right. And you know, the bigger question is, let's say the you have a guy, more guys like Okafor. Does the NBA play that way? You know, Memphis... Does it turn back, you're saying? 
Yeah, I just, I mean, certainly to some degree, it's harder post up now than it was before. I mean, there's no way that's going to change. And you can spread teams out. And if you have Stephen Curry, you're going to make life tough for Julio Okafor at pick and roll. That's no matter true. what. Yeah. But not every team has a Stephen Curry. And against a lot of teams, you're going to be able to plan him near the basket and keep his responsibilities limited. I mean, Duke, pretty good defensive team, despite his many issues on the whole. They were just a couple matchups where he looked really bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a couple matchups, but also Duke didn't play uh, a style of basketball where it was like traditional point guard, traditional two, three, four, and center. It was Okafor is your big man, and Winslow played power forward, and he's a small forward at best, you know, as the second biggest guy on the court for Duke. So it kind of puts the one big guy on an island. You know, it's difficult to play uh, when you know a double team's coming at you every single time. You know, he had to yeah. change his game. Um, to go from the you know to, from a scorer to a distributor to some guy to, to a guy who basically um, as Duke got better it's because Okafor's role offensively was diminished um, and he became more of just a, a helper for Winslow and, and Tyus Jones right. uh, and Quinn Cook. I think uh, defensively the, there is a concern about his rebounding. He's a bad defensive rebounder. I don't like. He doesn't that. jump. Yeah, he, <laughs> so you got to work extra hard. I mean, on I mean the but ground. It, but if you could have. An efficient Al Jefferson that's in a little better shape and mm-hmm. can hit those push shots more consistently. Like Jefferson is kind of a volume post scorer. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to, even with him, like you're not going to have a great offense no matter what because he's just going to miss a lot of those. Because he doesn't really get easy shots that much. Who, you know, no, Jefferson. Jefferson. Yeah. You know, he kind of, his shots are all the, of the push shot variety. Well, you're always, if, if, by the very nature of being a low post player, a few things have to go into this, right? Okafor's conditioning and overall athletic build is going to have to change because if it, you're has. Gonna, it, it has, started. and it's going to continue to have to yeah. uh, even evolve more because there's a certain amount of time it takes to get down the court, get the right position, have the entry pass be there to get you the ball, and then to be able to make your move, decipher the defense all within, call it 18 seconds, even mm-hmm. less sometimes, depending would, on if I there's pressure. A, yeah, I would a little, say a lot less. A lot less, right? So that's why part of the premium with uh, space and pace and the NBA now has gone away from the post-up in general, just by a, a simple time allotment. It's hard to find in the new NBA where possessions matter so much, um, or I should say amount of possessions per game, the speed you're playing with, um, a guy like Okafor is going to chew up a whole shot clock if he plays in a very traditional post-up sense like Al Jefferson did or uh, Elton Brand did or guys who take a long uh, – Carlos Boozer, the the kind of dudes who are seeing their careers turn away from the way the league's direction is going. Right. But I do think that as – and I think Ricky said this, um, Ricky O'Donnell on a pod we did a few times uh, a few weeks back, probably months ago now. He said the one thing about Okafor is uh, he's always the best guy on his team. He was the best guy on his 18 and under USA team with some like crazy PER on the um, national level. He was clearly one of the two or three best players in college basketball last year. Teams spent the entirety of their week preparing for Duke saying, how do we stop Okafor? Not, hey, how do we stop Tyus Jones and, and Justice Winslow right. or Winslow or whatever. You know, so it's it's the type of thing where in the NBA, that's not the way it's going to be. No matter who drafts him, say he gets chefed by the Lakers, the scouting report for Portland that night isn't going to be how do we stop Okafor first? It's going to be so? it, it's going to be how do we stop this this team? And what's right. the way to stop I, I the see, Lakers? I see what you're saying. You know, okay. and, and for I the mean, first time in Okafor's career, he's not going to be the epicenter of the other team's defensive strategy, and that's going to help him a lot. Well, I think the big key is is conditioning, like you said, 
Is he going to be able? Because if he's in good shape, he can duck in and get easy buckets that way. That'll be big. He'll need that. But I, I think sometimes some of the criticism with him puts the cart before the horse a little bit, where it's like you're saying, what kind of team are we going to have if he's our best player? And I just think right now, I, I, for a lot of the teams at the top of the draft, you know, when he comes into his prime, it'll be five years from now and the league might look very different. Like, I think you just have to get the right talent yep. and kind of put it around and not think too much, you know, about where, where, how do we fit pieces around him? You know, that's mm-hmm. something that I think can be figured out and he will have a lot of growth. So to me, he's, I think the Lakers, even with Randall not being a great fit with him, I think they're best off taking Okafor and seeing what happens. All right. That's what I wanted to get to because the next thing I want to talk about are the three wings or call them point guard, two point guards and a wing, uh, the three best guards. And I'm not going to count uh, Winslow in this because we'll talk about Justice Winslow in a little bit when we get to kind of the, uh, I don't know, call them more Swiss Army knife type guys for that cliche to be used here. But I want to talk about Mario <clears throat> Mario Hezonia. Mm-hmm. I think we pronounced his name correctly. Uh, Moutier, Emmanuel Moutier and D'Angelo Russell, because these three guys are going to have similar roles in the NBA. I think Hezonia might be a two as a wing. Hezonia seems like a wing. Right, but he does. He has some point guard abilities. He does do that uh, for his team. And I've seen him everywhere from point guard to shooting guard to kind of just your whatever hybrid wing. D'Angelo Russell is probably your most pure point guard there. And Moutier right. has played point his whole life and physically is is cut from a different cloth. In a vacuum, Mike, you're not starting with any other pieces around you. Usually it's nice to kind of talk about these things without knowing your supporting cast. Which of these three guys is your favorite NBA prospect? I love Russell. I think he's going to be awesome. I think he's got the court vision is incredible. The jumper, he hit him in college. I think a little couple of small tweaks and he'll start to hit pull-ups from all spots on the floor in the NBA. And he's just got incredible vision. His finishing at the rim is so-so, but I think – that's not always something that is as important if you have that kind of vision. You know, this is a weird, this is a bit of an absurd comparison, but Steph Curry doesn't shoot a lot of shots at the rim. That's no, true. It's true. I mean, he's got a great jumper, but he also has great vision. And, and but Russell to, has incredible vision. One of the things that Steph does better than 99.9% of the world is his, his offhand is incredible. He's an incredible passer with his left. He finishes really well with his left. Um, obviously his handle is equally as incredible with both hands. Russell does not like his right hand. He's a very, and you see this more with lefties than righties. He's a very left dominant player. I think that's because it's hard to stop lefties. Oh, I'm sure it is, but I, I, I don't know if that's because he doesn't have a right hand. I don't you know, know what I mean? mean like, if, I, if, I think... to, if I were to tell you that his major flaws are scoring at the rim, uh, average speed, not a great jumper, uh, doesn't use his offhand that much, still doesn't really have a floater, which is every point guard's favorite shot. He doesn't? Uh, no, he doesn't have a great floater, man. It's, I don't it's... know. I, I, I think he's got a better one than, than you think. I mean, he's to, me, he's... to me, a lot of these things, you would have said the same thing about Harden. Oh, sure. I, look, James Harden was the third pick in the draft. So, I mean, those are right. not, if those comparisons will be made from the second that Russell hopefully gets picked at the third pick for the Sixers uh, and, you know, the day he's out of the league, I hope these comparisons are being made. I would love to have the next James Harden here. But he also Harden, has great size. You can see sure. over the defense. Similar and size to Harden. The, the question to me is, is can he defend? Well, I mean, sure. the, he certainly has the tools, but I don't know if he really has been asked to do a lot of defending in college. He, he has to be able to defend a little better. On and off the ball. 
Yeah, I know? just think he has to pay a little more attention. And, you know, is he the kind of person where he feels right now he can jump in there and he's the best guy, or will he really grind for it? I guess that's mm-hmm. a question that people have brought up. But I don't know. When you have that kind of vision and handle, I think you're going to be a great NBA player no matter what. Sometimes it really just, just comes down to how well you play the game and how well you read the game. We think a lot about you know explosiveness and body and a lot of this stuff. I mean, he just has such great feel for the game. It, it's, it seems hard for me to think he's going to fail. I would not take him over Okafor, though. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I wouldn't. Uh, well, look, I'm just hoping the Sixers get Russell because I do think he's the right point guard with the right shooting ability, the right mentality. He wants to be... I think he wants to be the leader on the court. I think he likes being the best player on his team. I think you saw the right type of edge. He got on his teammates. Um, he was willing to talk right to Thad Mata, to his face. Um, and I know that one of the things that stood out for me, at least for the Sixers, is that Sam Hinkie went and saw him play uh, more than a handful of times this year, which should show you that it's the type of thing where he had to see him in person because he's that interested. The um, one guy that Hinkie also saw that a lot of people didn't see, though, is Moutier. He did. He I did. think he was the only GM yep. to travel to yes. uh, to, to China. China. Yep. So what happened to him? Like, why is he suddenly tumbling? Yeah, it, it's again, it's one of those things where uh, Moutier was, uh, I think we mentioned this uh, prior to the pod, we were talking about af- last year after the NBA draft, when we did our super far and advanced uh, draft preview for this year coming up, we had Moutier as number one on the big board. Yeah. Um, and that's because if you look at his measurables, He's he's a he's a freak. I mean, uh, Moutier uh, handles himself at a, a above six foot five. He's over two hundred pounds. Um, he's got a six nine wingspan for a six five guy, which isn't and it's good. It's good. All NBA players have good wingspan to height ratios for the most part. Um, but he's athletic as hell, man. I mean, he's he is aggressive when he jumps. He jumps into people's bodies, takes all their contact, and he's still the guy in the air. So from a body control, the way he handles himself, maturity wise, his interviews, he was. It was like he played a year of professional basketball, which he did. Which he did, exactly. And he went through a lot too. With he the did, he's been and... through a lot in general in his life already. I mean, he's from the Congo. He moved to Texas. He went to a prep school. His prep school, uh, you know, may have fudged a few different transcripts. <laughs> he, you know, went from being going to college in his backyard at SMU to play with Larry Brown, who Larry Brown loves him by the way, and he's seen some basketball in his career. Um, to you know, having to go to China to play for a year. So his road to here. Um, a lot more checkered than, you know, per se, a Russell who went from McDonald's All-American to Ohio State to a top five pick. And sometimes that type of character building is important. Um, what I like most about Moutier was just when I saw him play with the other guys in this class in the different All-American games, he made sure to put his foot down as, as the most physically dominant guy on the court. Um, you know, it, it's not... It's it's not too dissimilar to um, you know when you watch LeBron play uh, you know any game he plays in he makes sure that people are aware that he's the best physical specimen on the court and that type of mentality is important in the NBA for sure. So you think he's the best? Ha- he's like a great athlete. Like he is uh, Westbrook Wall great. He's not he's not as fast or as quick as them, but for someone who is bigger than both of them, he is. So, so for you, a that six, to me is the key, like because yeah. he his shot is broken. Oh, he doesn't got have a no shot, shot yet. Yeah, no shot. The shot yet. is totally broken, and he doesn't shoot free throws well. And for two or three years, their mm-hmm. teams are just going to go way under him like they do on Peyton. Well, tell me Alfred this. Payton. Alfred Payton, right? Alfred Payton, you like him as a player? Not sure. Not sure yet. But but you will agree that he closed very well last year. I thought he put up good numbers. Okay, so I'm I, not sure. I'm not sure he's really – like, I, I still think he's a ways to go before he's a real impact point guard 
in this league. But do you he, like Marcus Smart? Smart is a better. Smart can catch and shoot the ball a little bit, though. He shot decent percentage bit. on on threes. I mean, and Smart as much has that great defensive versatility. And you know, we'll see with Moutier. I mean, and Smart can play off the ball. He didn't really play on the ball. As, like Moutier is a one. He's a point guard, and he's a one, and he's a one only. Whereas Russell is a one that can play two in a lot of sets and kind of move without the ball a little bit easier. Yeah. I just he to me Moody better be a special athlete because that jumper well, is he, really bad. He has a tremendous first step. He is a plus rebounder for a six foot five. Like in this NBA right now, at six foot five and as physically gifted as he is, he won't have to take as many shots away from the basket because that just won't be part of his repertoire, at least until he has it. What if teams just duck way under on pick and rolls? Like his, it just that just short circuits an sure. entire set. Sure, I mean, look, that's why the Sixers aren't going to take him because we just went through this with Michael Carter Williams. Yeah, I mean, you know, but it, do, if you're the Sixers, and you yeah. know, again, you can't think too much about how your roster is with the draft. You have to draft the guy you think is the best player. Sure. And All right. Well, let me say this. Let who do you this. think you would take? I mean, would you take Moutier or Russell? I would. I would take Russell um, because I do think that he has some skill sets that you can't teach or at least it take a long time to teach. And even then you're never sure if the rewards are going to be there. The shot is very important being left-handed it, for me, at least I, I give way more bonus points for that in my scouting report. I agree. I think that's actually, it's very underrated it, the, totally to agree. be a lefty is very, that's like a big reason that Ben Simmons is such a great prospect. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love Ben Simmons as a prospect. That's um, a big reason he's, he's, useful that's why big reason why Harden is such a great player absolutely and and why he drives so many fouls um I'll tell you this though I'm not in love with how Russell finishes at the basket um I'm not in love with his physical build right now he's still a kid he's gonna have to get a lot stronger if we're gonna knock Przingis for being a thin guy so is Russell yeah um that's I think Moody is, is physically already there, um, and he's really good at creating space, man. So, like, if if you do get him in a high pick and roll and teams continue to go under it and under it, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world because he's going to take the space and create some more often. Like I said, he's very good at destroying that law of vertic- or rule of verticality. Guys want to go vertical. He meets them and just maintains. He, he has a great way of floating. Yeah, like um, like Tyreek Evans. But, you yeah, know, in sure, the NBA sure. level, though, that's going to take a while. But what if Tyreek Evans was a – a little bit more athletic, and a little bit better, passer. and a little bit better passing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it sounds very intriguing. I mean, sure. if you're if you're not going to take him, if you're the Sixers, then I mean, the Knicks. Do you think the Knicks should take him? No, because I think the Knicks should take Winslow. I think Winslow is a perfect player for the Knicks because they want to build around free agents. They want to build around Carmelo Anthony still, and Winslow will will fulfill a role no matter what that is they're asking him to do. If they take Moutier, it's because he's going to be their point guard. If they take Russell, it's because he's going to be their point guard. Uh, if they take, um, uh, I'm trying to think of another guy who comes might come after them, Willie Cully Stein, it's because he's going to be their defensive center. But mm-hmm. if you take Winslow, he could be with Carmelo, he could be their small forward. If they want to go and th- look, if Melo's playing center, which could absolutely happen next year if lineups keep going in this direction, Winslow can play power forward. And he did it at Duke. Uh, he can play two guard if he develops his shot a little bit more because he's the tenacity Winslow plays with, um, the kind of overall mental acumen that he already has. And he he showed it in the Jordan All-American game. I was that he was the only player setting screens away from the ball. That doesn't happen in an all-star game. So that's all oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like he's certainly a great role, going to be a great role player for a while. I mean, I heard a comparison, a Shane Battier comparison. I don't know if his mm-hmm. jumper is is mechanically there yet but uh Batty-ish it's a, has a set shot too yeah but winslow's kind of he shot well 
from the college line, but his release is a little slow and kind of crooked and weird, and he's going to have to adjust to mm-hmm. not being a four. The problem I have with bring, putting him in the Knicks is that, you know, the Knicks are deluding themselves would then into thinking that they're a good team because Winslow is a guy that you put him on a team with something there already, and he could take it to another level. Yeah. But if you put him on a team where that's at the top five in the draft, you know, that could turn – out poorly he's not that kind of player whereas Moutier I mean down the road that guy could be the best player in your team sure he's got I would say Moutier even though I love Russell it seems like Moutier has more potential to be a great player isn't that what makes this draft so intriguing absolutely there feels like there's a few definitives and things we know about guys whose ceilings could be pretty high like an Ogofor and then there's guys who we just really the ceiling is almost limitless a Przingis or a, a Moutier these could be transcendent players or mm-hmm. they could be bus. And I love those risk-reward type picks. I love them even more when the Knicks are doing it yeah. and not my Sixers. See, if Please I'm, take Russell. If I'm the Knicks and I didn't have to think about the triangle and I would have run my team the right way, I would take Moutier. Yeah, I agree. But he's probably but the, the worst player for the triangle because right. he can't shoot. That's the problem. The they're, in this, they're in this triangle world. And so now mm-hmm. I think that they should just take Holly Stein if they're just going to think that way. But I don't think he's a triangle guy either. But that's another Knicks thing. Don't they have themselves in this mindset of, well, there's plenty of good bigs in free agency. We could get Aldridge. We, we could get, get Gasol. And Greg then, they don't draft. We can get Greg Monroe. They're going to get Greg Monroe. Yeah. And then in which case they probably should take Kelly Stein because Greg Monroe doesn't play defense. So But now you're gonna have a front court of <laughs> Right, that Melo plays small forward again. Winslow, yeah. if you if the Knicks delude themselves into thinking that they're a good team, then Winslow makes a lot of sense. I just think that's so dangerous and that's putting setting the guy up to fail. If I'm Winslow, I would love to I think Winslow would be great on somewhere like Detroit. Yeah, I sure Detroit I, would be really interesting for Winslow or if whoever trades up to get that pick. That mm-hmm. would be but any higher, and I just think Winslow has too many limitations to be a savior type of player for a franchise. Yeah, I mean, he, he's not going to be creating his own shot. He's a terrible shooter off the dribble. Yeah. Which is important to note, uh, given that, you know, the ball is going to be in Carmelo's hands. Again, if they run the triangle offense, then there, there'll be, you know, good distribution of the ball, et cetera. But assuming that it just breaks down into, like, uh, Carmelo posting up from the, I don't know, foul line extended and then taken out to the three-point line when he wants to shy away from contact. Winslow's not really a great player to have just floating on the other side of the court. He's going to rebound well. He's going to play very good defense. He's a good defender, and he guards a multitude of positions. Um, I don't know. He's just the type of guy, though, where he's like, he's uh, he needs to improve his shooting if he's going to make sense on the Knicks. And right now, I don't think that's where he kind of fills in. And I think you're right. It's Draymond Green factor 101. Certain teams, Draymond Green could have been on this past year, and he would have been 15 minutes a game on the Pistons and unhappy, right? But on Golden State, he's maybe the most important mental leader and and emotional leader, and then physically filled in every gap they needed. Yeah, I'm just worried he's going to end up in the wrong place. Now, it's important. A team that a team that trades, you know, trades up to get in the Kings slot, whatever Mm -hmm. the heck they do. What do you think? Let's let's transition to Kings. This is a good time for it. Um, I'll mention this real quick. Who knows? We didn't mention Hazonia, but we both, we we mentioned it, but we didn't really talk about him too much. We both really like him. He, I I think he'll be a good player. Um, And I'm actually excited to see just him play. I'm excited to see Porzingis play. I want to see them play American NBA basketball players. Hazonia reminds me of, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson had a personality. Sure. Hey, that could be a nasty player. I think that could be really interesting. Yeah. He's just 
He kind of tilts all the way the other way, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah a lot of attitude. I but can't imagine him playing for a Phil Jackson team. Well, his messy quote, that's the best. Look, if any one of these other guys had said, <laughs> if they asked him, um, it's, it's the equivalent of like Okafor being from Chicago and someone saying like, hey, uh, when you were a kid, did you ever want to go watch Michael Jordan play? And, and then Okafor saying, did Michael Jordan ever come watch me play? Because that's what Hazonga yeah. said about yeah. Lionel Messi. And it was especially funny because they're both Barcelona. But anyway, right, right. the Anyhow, Kings so are, the Kings. The, the the Kings are Kings. such a, who knows, I, for what, this might sound silly if this comes out at a certain point. I don't think Cousins is going to get traded. I do think they're going to try to move that sixth pick because uh, they're going to try to win. Now, I, the, there's a lot that sort of makes sense on the on paper with like a Lawson for six move, but I don't think Lawson's stock is really that high. I mean, what are you really getting with Ty Lawson at this stage? But uh, I don't think they're going to be picking at six. Uh, I think they're going to – someone else will be. I mean, that might be a good spot for Boston. If they can get all the way up there and get Willie Cauley-Stein, I think that's a great move for Boston. But what does Boston have to give up to Sacramento, I think, is the challenge. Sure. So so which trades do you think or what teams do you think are most likely? You just mentioned Boston and Sacramento. What other teams do you think are most likely to be involved in some trading in the next two days? Well, it's interesting. The bottom of the lottery is filled with all these teams that thought they were a playoff caliber but end up not being uh, Detroit, Charlotte, uh, Miami, Indiana. And those teams are, are probably thinking to themselves, you know, we had a lot of things go wrong for us. Detroit had the Smith fiasco. Uh, Miami had all these injuries. Uh, Charlotte just kind of never gelled, the, the Stevenson signing. And Indiana obviously had what Paul George happened to him. They're probably thinking – we can probably get back to a very high level. Like we could compete to win us around in the playoffs if we just get that one guy that can help us right away. So they might look at the draft if their guy's not there. I think it would make sense for them to trade out in that in that way. I always get worried about teams that think like this because they're not really going anywhere. Even if they like, if Detroit trades the number nine for, I'm just trying to think of a guy that could be available for them uh, a wing because they need a wing mm-hmm. Detroit needs one more wing they have Caldwell Pope is very interesting I like Ilias Sova they need a wing and if they don't get Winslow who I think would be great for them or Hazonia would also be great for them they might think you know what's the point of having this pick we don't want Stanley Johnson sure. or Sam Decker or whatever right. so I think that's where you look and the challenge that Boston has, that Boston's going to try to trade up. A lot of other teams are going to try to trade up, but they don't have the veteran talent that those teams need. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe New Orleans will try. You know, Philly with the Clippers will try. But what what are they giving to those teams? I don't know if the the, the partners really match up as well as it seems. Sure. Well, trades look. There's always going to be rumors on rumors on rumors before the draft starts. Um, then when the draft happens, usually you see the picks who you thought were going to go one, two, three, four, five, six, et cetera. They go like that. Uh, occasionally, there's a trade. I mean, the, I think back to the uh, you know Chris Weber, uh, Anthony Hardaway, uh, and bef- you know, before that Vince Carter, and or after that Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson. Like, very rarely are big names swap for each other, and then their careers project out as good players. Um, so you know, with with these types of picks this year in particular, I don't see much difference between and maybe. Um, Maybe Towns is the by far best player in this draft and his career shakes out like that. But, I think he is. Uh, sure, okay. So maybe that's the case. But then two through could be eight could all have the similar impacts in their NBA career. We, then, I think it's just hard to, to really project this. If that's the case, what's the incentive for the seventh rank for the Nuggets to trade up? No, I don't I don't 
think the Nuggets should trade up. I just think the Nuggets uh, are, that, that, are looking just, to trade. Just as an example, yeah. like, what is the incentive for them to do that? No, unless they fell in love with a player at the individual workouts, which which does happen. I mean, you, you see certain GMs or, or player personnel guys become infatuated with a guy and they just, they just have to have him on their team. I mean, there's been a lot of buzz about Stanley Johnson uh, and the Pistons, for example. Like that was a, like that's the type of player who makes a lot of sense for them. Um, Hazonia, Hazonia for Denver is another one. Um, that, that's, well, there are a lot of a lot of guys. I I just if you're Detroit, this is the concern I have with these teams that talk their way into this stuff. Detroit might think to themselves, and they have a coach who has a, is the GM as well, which is adds even more incentive to this. They'll look at they, their top seven will be off the board because those seven maybe go will go conventionally, and they're looking at. Stanley Johnson, Devin Booker, Sam Decker, uh, Turner, Miles Turner, you know, maybe some of these other guys. The second tier of of big men, right? But those are guys that can still really help you. Whereas suddenly what the concern you'd have is always what my Wizards did a couple, several years back is they said, well, this is like a two-player draft and we lost our two players. So... Well, let's just trade Randy for the fifth pick for Randy Ford and Mike Miller because we're right there. Right, we could be. We should have been a playoff team last year. We just had all these injuries that happened. Yeah, no, hey, knowing who you are is is everything in this NBA. I think so, uh, and man. so I just think those teams are better off just making picks. Yep, that's uh, always how I feel about this stuff. Who is a uh, who's a guy at the end of the draft, real quick, mm-hmm. that you like, like someone who's not going to go, not a lottery player that sure. probably has lottery talent. So a lot lottery talent upside type guy. Yeah, who doesn't uh, have a lot of, who's not sure. going to go in the lottery or is not projected to go in the lottery. Yeah, so I, look, Kelly Oubre from from Kansas is projected to be in the kind of the early 20s range. Um, Oubre is the type of guy who, if you like sh- three-point ability, athleticism, and left-handed players, you will like Kelly Oubre. He, he got a little bit uh, disillusioned with Kansas this past year. Both Cliff Alexander and Kelly Oubre uh, were, were top-notch five-star recruits that went to Kansas following in the footsteps of, of uh, Wiggins and Embiid and still able to be playing there with you know Wayne Selden and a couple other uh, McDonald's All-Americans. And they just didn't have it this year. Oubre never really found his stride. But I think in the NBA, which is a much more open game, his athleticism will become very apparent very quickly. Uh, and then, look, he's got range. He's got a nice three-point shot. And it kind of looks similar in his release to uh, to D'Angelo Russell. So I actually really like Kelly Oubre. And then, uh, I mean, I hate to steal again from the pod we did earlier in the year with, with Ricky, but he mentioned Robert Upshaw. He's a very interesting player, similar to, like, Hassan Whiteside, but with even, <laughs> with even more baggage, which seems kind of incredible to say. Um, but Upshaw really uh, could not play college basketball. He didn't want to conform to both the NCAA rules, his coach, um, the systems in general. Washington wasn't right for him, and NCAA basketball wasn't right for him. Doesn't mean he won't be good for the NBA because he's enormous. And talk about law of verticality. Uh, you know, Upshaw is the type of guy who's going to block a ton of shots. Uh, he's seven feet tall, 260 pounds, seven foot, five and a half wingspan, and a standing reach of nine five. Yeah, I mean, the, the physical tools are there. But... I mean, who's that sound like? It sounds like Rudy Gobert. It does. You know, there are a lot of Larry's. I mean, I just wonder. I don't know what where he is with his kind of personal demons. I hope I'm more. I want to make sure he overcomes those. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, That's you talk a, about if you can get the best defensive center in this draft, he ends up being a more uh, a more valuable defensive center than Willie Cauley Stein. But you pick him at thirty, and Cauley Stein goes five. Yeah, you know that's the type of guy we're talking about. And that's it could a big easily gamble. Be it's that. a big gamble, though. I think there's like a 
a point where that hits. Sure. So you like Justin Anderson too, right? You I like do. I really UVA. like Justin Anderson. Uh, yep, from UVA, and it's not just because because I like uh, you know I, I don't I don't mind him. I like UVA basketball, um, but I like Justin Anderson a lot because he's the type of guy whose value would have been a little bit higher if he hadn't gotten hurt last season. He missed the bulk of last year with like a broken wrist, I believe, a broken hand. Um, but he's the type of guy. He's a six six wing player hits threes, plays good defense, and he is, again, long wingspan, almost seven feet, uh, sneaky 38-inch vertical, so he is pretty athletic. And if you like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson um, or or you like uh, a Winslow, then you really should like Justin Anderson. He's kind of a similar or a hybrid between the two, a little bit of offensive game like Winslow, but a better shooter, great defensive game like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, but with actual offensive game too. Um, so where he might lack in some smaller things, right? So he's not the best decision maker. He's not the best guy to have on ball. That's never going to be the way he plays in the NBA. Um, and sometimes uh, he gets a little lost defensively with just the regular fundamentals. And one of the big knocks on him uh, is that he kind of has a weird stance defensively, a little hunched over, very top heavy. It's just his body build. You know, different guys play different ways, but stylistically, if you play UVA, you're playing defense. That's what yeah. they do. They play man-to-man Really solid defense. So I'm a, I actually really do like Justin Anderson. I think he's going to help a good team become better because just where I think he'll be picked, um, yeah, which you should look be at, you know, we, mid-late first round. Yeah, you look at him and with Winslow, and one of those guys is going to go to a pretty good team, and the other one is yeah. might go to a really bad team. You know that Those are two guys that, as it turns out, they're – I mean, Winslow is uh, was younger, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But impact-wise, they made very similar impacts on very good teams, yep. and one is going to end up – in the spot, I'm intrigued by uh, Decker. I think Sam Decker is interesting. Yep. These guys that play for colleges that don't quite get the most out of them mm-hmm. always intrigue me. Decker, Kevin Looney from UCLA is another one. Great mm-hmm. size, can shoot the ball. Uh, real, a lot of impact potential as a rebounder and rim protector. You know that that's a gamble that if I'm in the teens, I would absolutely take. Sure. I yeah. think for a team that is like kind of, I would love the Wizards are an example. Toronto. Someone that's kind of in the middle of the league that needs to take a chance on someone turning into a really good player for their value. That's a player I would take a look at. And yeah. I just think Decker is better than he showed at Wisconsin. I just think that was a you couldn't script a worse place for him <laughs> to go. And if he is confident and he can kind of get over playing for a, a coach that is not screaming with at him all the time. Sure. He's every bit as good as some of these other wings in the draft, I think. No, I, I, With a lot of positional versatility to play up as yeah. a four. So those are the two guys I really like. And I'm going to give you three more names, too, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Um, the three other guys, two of them played for LSU last year, Jarrell Martin and Jordan Mickey, both late first round, early second round type players. They're both power forwards, but they're totally different, and they happen to play together at LSU, so they kind of got to play off each other to their strengths, but also had their their weaknesses exposed. Um, Mickey's a little bit undersized. Martin's sort of a weird body frame, um, but they're both kind of, the, again, NBA 2015, a power forward kind of has to have a little versatility and also be able to kind of play at the center when you want to go small, and both these guys can do that. Um, they also both had really strong showings against Kentucky, and it's not easy to be a power forward in the SEC playing Kentucky when they're putting three seven-footers on you. So those guys impressed me. And then the third and final guy I'll tell you is, and he's a very interesting player, because J.P. Tokuto uh, uh, from North Carolina is an interesting hybrid player. He is, and I watched him play, uh, I watched him play a bunch last year. He, if you like Igudala, he's got Igudala's game. He actually also has a funny, weird shot right now too that's been rapidly improving. 
Hmm. He went into last year as one of the worst shooters at North Carolina, and he could see it improving throughout the year. He's a tremendous passer for his size. He's a plus athlete, and he's a very good defensive player. Tokido is going to go early first round. I, I wouldn't be surprised if early like the, second I'm round, sorry, maybe. second round. And I wouldn't be surprised if a team like the Celtics picks him with the 33rd pick or in, in that range. So it kind of sounds a little bit like Amon Shumpert, um, the way yeah, you describe him. Uh, different, different. I never thought of Shumpert as being a guy who could pass well. And, and we didn't know very much about Shumpert coming out of Georgia Tech. And that's kind of, I think, what the value in Shumpert was to the Knicks before he got hurt when they were trying to trade him with all of their will, was that you didn't really know that he wasn't a totally complete player. And a lot of that has been exposed now offensively. Um, and even defensively, I, I don't want to get into it, but I thought Schumper got lost yeah, on the high he, screen he was, over, and he over, was, and over and over. He was also playing hurt, but yeah, that was yeah. not a great Schumper. But, uh, Interesting. Yeah. I'll keep an eye on yep. those three players. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really all I got from a sleeper standpoint. Uh, Pat Connaughton, if he decides to play NBA basketball, He's the guy who jumped the uh, you know forty four inch vertical yeah. out of Notre Dame and the six foot five body. He's probably yeah, he, become he's an, an MLB one. pitcher. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's a slight NBA draft preview for us. Uh, you know, Mike, I know you're an NBA guy, so I'm the college basketball guy here. But this is the one night where we can kind of come together, and uh, my uh, my love for college basketball falls right into the uh, my love for the Sixers. Real and, quick, and hopefully we pick a good player. Prediction one. <laughs> One thing that happens that is sort of not on our radar right now. Hmm. Uh, well, I would say that uh, first and foremost, that the Celtics will make a trade. I just think they're not happy with having three mediocre first round picks. Okay. So maybe that's on the radar, but that's my prediction for you. You think they will? I, I think um, I think a point guard is going to get moved that we don't expect. I'm not quite sure who it is. Maybe the one name I'm just going to throw out there is is totally random. And it's just the first thing that came to my mind. Kyle Lowry. <laughs> totally I, random I like this is a very like this is not sourced mm-hmm. this is nothing i just think that some point guard because a lot around the league i think you look at that crazy trade at the trade deadline where they three point guards got traded mm-hmm. if you don't have a great one i think a lot of teams are, are starting to think that you, have you might as well yeah. all the other ones are fairly interchangeable so that's just a w- random prediction you know yeah. maybe lowry to to sacramento Hey, That'd I, be an he, interesting one right there. I'd love to see Lowry and then Boogie just get into a heated argument on the court as George Carl just cups his ears <laughs> on the sideline. Um, <laughs> but it should hey, be great. Yeah, perfect. Can't wait. Draft is in. Uh, this is the 23rd of June. Draft is on the 25th, a couple days from now here at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Mike, you going? I am not going. I have to run ship here. But perfect. we are we're gonna have some really cool uh we're gonna have a draft show, pre draft show, seven o'clock, uh thirty minutes before the draft, uh with uh our studio team. You'll see me on there at the very end. Uh cool. we have some cool little tricks planned uh you know, we're gonna have a couple of exclusive interviews and some other interesting stuff. So tune in then and obviously keep reading our draft coverage, especially the stuff from our man Kevin O'Connor, who has just been killing it with his draft coverage. You should buy his guide. You should read his scouting reports. That guy knows more about the draft than anyone I know knows about anything. Yeah, his his draft guide is the most comprehensive uh, out there right now, and every other expert is deferring to it as the holy grail of the 2015 draft, guys. So go check that out. Again, that's Kevin O'Connor's 2015 NBA draft guide. That's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ben Epstein. I'm here with Mike Prada. As always, Nick Offenberger is our technical producer, making us sound lovely. Um, hey, big thanks to both you guys for making this happen. It's tough to do this. I know we both all work hard jobs here, so it's great to get everyone together in studio together. It's been too long. Huge thanks to our listeners. 
As always, please subscribe to us uh, on iTunes, Limited Upside Podcast. You can follow us on SoundCloud. Join the conversation on SBNation.com slash MBA. Find Mike on Twitter. Twitter handle is what, Mike? Mike Prada, spelled like the Italian company, SBN. Cool. And I'm at EpiBen, E-P-P-Y, Ben, at EpiBen. Guys, stay tuned for the next episode of Limited Upside Podcast. I'm sure we'll be able to talk about all the goings-on of free agency and the draft that was. But until next time, Limited Upside Podcast.